Saturday, August 10th at noon, here on your community radio station, KBOO Portland. KBOO Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations and programming of KBOO in accordance with requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBOO Community Radio's open meeting policy is available by calling the station at 503-231-8032. Meetings will be held at 20 Southeast 8th Avenue in Portland. The Personnel Committee will meet on the second Monday of each month at 6 p.m. This is KBOO Portland, listener-powered, non-corporate community radio. The aftermath of nonviolence is the creation of the beloved community. The aftermath of nonviolence is redemption. The aftermath of nonviolence is reconciliation. The aftermath of violence, however, is bitterness. This is the thing I'm concerned about. Let us fight passionately and unrelentingly for the goal of justice and freedom. Let's be sure that our hands are clean in the struggle. Let us never fight with falsehood and violence and hate and malice, but always fight with love so that when the day comes that the walls of segregation have completely crumbled in Montgomery, that we will be able to live with people as our brothers and sisters. Good morning. This is KBOO Portland. My name is John Shuck, and you are listening to The Beloved Community. The Beloved Community is on the second Friday of every month between 9 and 10 a.m., looking at spirituality, social justice, various issues regarding activism, what's happening in the world, alternative viewpoints to official narratives, and we have one this morning. My guest is from Hamilton, Ontario. His name is Mark Taliano, and uh, he's written a book called Voices from Syria. He's a former high school teacher, author and activist, an independent investigative reporter, and a research associate with the Center for Research on Globalization, also known as Global Research. In 2016, he traveled to Syria with the third international tour of peace to where he spoke with and listened to many Syrian citizens. And in his book, Voices from Syria, Mark combines years of research with on-the-ground observations to present an informed and well-documented analysis that refutes mainstream media narratives about the dirty war on Syria. His website is marktaliano.net, M-A-R-K-T-A-L-I-A-N-O.net. And he's with me from Hamilton, Ontario. Also, I, we are working to get a hold of, we're trying to get a hold of from the UK, Reverend Andrew Ashdown, who also has uh, experience uh, uh, with Syria and what is happening there. But first, we'll get, uh, we'll get Mark on the phone. Mark, are you with me? Yes, I am. Hi, John. How are you? Ah, very good. Welcome. Glad to have you here. So we'll talk for a little while. The engineer is going to work on seeing if we can't get Andrew on, and if not, we'll have to have see if Andrew can call us. Uh, but uh, I w- wanted to talk just the basics here. You went to Syria three years ago. You've been uh, interested in Syria uh, for some time before that. Can you provide some background to your connection and interest in Syria? Yeah, well, I was there a few years ago, but I was also there in 2018. Actually, I had the misfortune of being there. Well, no, it's always fortunate to be there, but when I was there in 2018, that's when the um, the NATO uh, ships uh, bombed Syria with their uh, cruise missiles, and some of them landed uh, really close by, like maybe five kilometers from where I was, so it was quite terrifying. Um and it was based upon a false flag. In other words, the, at, at Duma, there, there was no chemical attack. Like, the, the Syrian government did not attack uh, the, its citizens with chemical weapons. That was like back uh, in April, right? April of 2018? I think that... And that, I have an, If people, actually, if anyone's listening and they're in front of a computer, they could go to my website and reference articles. Uh, because all the information is there. So I do have an article there, and I interviewed someone. And, um, yeah, so I was woken up early in the morning. It was very, 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 very scary, although we knew what was, we knew something was going to happen. And it was extraordinarily loud, and, um, you know, it was really bad. Uh, and and uh, fortunately, not too many people were slaughtered that time uh, because the uh, with the uh, assistance of his allies, uh, Etc. Syria is getting better at defending itself, 
but it underscored for me um, the terror that people in what I call prey countries have to live with on a day-to-day basis. And these are kids, children, have to live with this and endure this. Whoops, I think we've, we've lost him. Uh, Hello, I'm here. Well, we've got, oh, well, this is, uh, all right, well, we lost Mark Taliano. This must be Reverend Andrew Ashdown. Speaking, good, good afternoon. Oh, okay, good, good afternoon. <laughs> Hello. All right. My name is John Shuck, and this is the Beloved Community, and we're live on uh, KBOO in Portland. We just in, in getting you, we just lost Mark, but we're we're working on getting him back on. So we'll, we'll spend a couple of minutes here. with you. And I uh, just introduced to you just a few minutes ago from Mark. Can you tell me uh, where your expertise regarding Syria? Um, I've been involved in Syria for many years, actually. Um, I was a regular visitor before the conflict, and. Um, Since 2014, I visited the country, I think, 10 times uh, as a guest of the local faith communities, Um, and I've just finished uh, doctoral research. I've just completed a PhD in Christian-Muslim relations in Syria, so I've been studying the uh, faith context in Syria um, uh, throughout the the war um, and traveling extensively across Syria as a guest of the local faith communities. Um, during during the conflict in some of the areas most affected by the war. And uh, what did you observe there? What, what's really interesting is that Syria has been one of the most diverse, religiously one of the most diverse and plural societies, countries in the whole of the Middle East. So you have a full spectrum of Christianity. Most of the Christian um, denominations are, are present and have been present for centuries within Syria. Um, and also the the, land, the Muslim landscape is quite broad as well. Um, and for centuries, these communities have, for the most part, coexisted extremely well. Um, and during the conflict in government-controlled areas, where um, the, the constitution of the state actually allows for freedom of religion and freedom of expression of worship, um, so for most of the conflict, uh, Christian and Muslim leaders have worked together very much to... Um, support one another and and, um, affirm efforts at reconciliation and supporting the local communities. Uh, This isn't something we hear from the mainstream news in the United States, at least, perhaps also in the UK (laughs) and Canada. Uh, Mark Taliano, I believe, is back. Are you there, Mark? Excellent. All right. Uh, All right. Good. Can you hear each other? Hi, Mark. Good. All right. Well, happy family. All right. Because here (laughs) in the United States, the news that we hear is that um, primarily... Uh, that the president, Bashar al-Assad, is a, um, a, a dictator, gasses his own people, kills his own people, uh, and, and he needs to be stopped. And uh, what would you say to that one, either of who, you? Who, who are we, we addressing? Well, let's, let's go with you, Mark, and then we'll go back to Andrew. Well, this, this is how I would respond to that. First of all, um, people have a short memory. They have forgotten that Libya, that we totally destroyed Libya. And the pretext was humanitarian issues, which were fabricated. And we, we are committing and committed a holocaust in Iraq. The pretext was weapons of mass destruction. Well, sorry, there weren't any. In other words, the empire to which we are a part... Okay. That's interesting. Is anybody there? A weird uh, signal here, and we lost, looks, sounds like all of our contacts. Yeah, well, that's exciting. Engineer uh, Ray is getting busy to get these phones back on again, and we'll see if this can happen. I'm speaking with Mark Taliano and Reverend Andrew Ashdown. Mark Taliano is from Hamilton, Ontario, a suburb of uh, Toronto. Reverend Andrew Ashdown is from the UK. We're talking about Syria. We're talking about a very counter narrative to the narrative that is uh, pummeled uh, upon uh, Western people uh, about Syria. And these are people who've been to Syria many times, and they have a point of view that is uh, quite counter to the prevailing official narrative uh, that somehow the United States is doing good over there. 
Uh, we we're going to find out that, uh, uh, according to uh, these folks who've been there, Mark Taliano and, and Andrew Ashdown, that uh, the United States is actually uh, promoting the terrorists themselves not necessarily fighting the terrorists. So we're going to figure it's 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 uh, a bit of a complicated piece uh, to unravel, but this is uh, part of uh, Empire's struggle here to uh, uh, perhaps uh, control the Middle East. Mark brought up just a second ago about how uh, the Iraq War were uh, supposed weapons of mass destruction, uh, which of course were were empty. Uh, destroyed a whole country there of, of Iraq. I had a chance to be uh, in Iraq uh, last year, last October. I uh, walked in a 50-mile uh, walk uh, from Najaf to uh, Karbala, Iraq, as part of Arba'in, which is the largest, the largest peaceful human gathering on Earth. It occurs uh, every year. And it has since since the fall of Saddam Hussein, uh, 15 million to 20 million, perhaps even more people paying uh, homage and tribute, uh, mourning uh, the death and sacrifice of Imam Hussein. Not a story that is heard in the Western media. Very little do we hear about that. It's a peaceful march. Uh, it is a peaceful, uh, not a march, it isn't a march, it's actually a, a religious uh, celebration uh, of mourning uh, for uh, the death of the grandson of Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. This is Imam Hussein, uh, who was uh, martyred in Karbala, Iraq, uh, about 1,400 years ago. And so, so that kind of story, the stories that we don't really get in the West... Uh, because there is a narrative of, of war making uh, in the West uh, against uh, uh, Muslims and uh, against countries that we, we seek to control. And the situation in Syria is a complex one. And Mark uh, Taliano, whose website is marktaliano.net, uh, he has written the book, uh, the book called Voices from Syria. And we're both back. Well, that's what happens, Mark, when you criticize Empire, you get cut off the air, I guess. I don't know what happened there. So tell us again. Uh, I, I got cut off. I don't know what's happened. <laughs> so you're there, Andrew. How are you? Okay. Uh, is Mark okay. there? Yes, I'm here. Okay. Mark, can you go ahead and finish uh, what you were talking about then? You remember where you were? You talked about this. Uh, uh, Syria is another, uh, what, domino in this uh, Empire, Imperial uh, uh, yes, strike against people. the Middle East? And that's how it is, except I come at it from a human point of view, and it, what it means to me is the mass murder of uh, women, men, and children, because that's what's happening. And people have a very short memory. Um, NATO totally destroyed Libya based on lies. They looted it, they plundered it, they stole its money, and now there's open market sex trading. Okay, and, that, and prior to the war, it was the most affluent country in Africa. And uh, Iraq, uh, the whole war, including the economic warfare uh, prior to the Iraq War II, I guess you'd call it, uh, that, uh, and Madeleine Albright um, said, we think it was worth it. Well, in, uh, sanctions, and this is in my book, economic warfare, they in, intentionally, it wasn't an action, they intentionally uh, murdered. I think it's murder because they, the intent is there. They knew what would happen when they shut down the water system. And about 600, just under 600,000 kids were slaughtered, murdered, as well as maybe over a million adults. So this is how I look at these wars. Are you there? I'm here. I'm with you. Okay, yeah. So this is how I view these wars. And having been there twice, been to Syria twice, I've met the people, and um, they're just like you and me. People... People like to put labels on them. Oh, he's Shia. Oh, they're Shiites. Oh, they're Sunnis. Oh, look, there's Alawites. That's nonsense. Syria is they a secular. Syria is a secular society, or has been uh, in the past. A secular society, but if I meet you on the street, I'm not going to ask first thing, "Are you a, a Catholic or a Protestant?" That's rude. And and the Syrians are the same. They do not identify the. They do not identify by religious labels. They are deeply religious. Many of them as are many people in North America. But they don't, they reject the labels. The people who do not reject the labels are the people who have, and these societies have orientalist views of the situation, and those are imperialist views. They want to 
turn people into uh, um, cardboard figures and cartoon figures uh, to dehumanize them so that it's easier to slaughter them and to fabricate consent. Tell me, yeah, go ahead. Uh, Yeah. I think Reverend Ashdown could probably add to that as well. Yeah, what I'd like you to get to is this question of, I mean, I would like to know just just some basic things. For example, Assad, uh, Bashar al-Assad, how is he understood by the people who live in Syria? Is he a dictator? Is he gas his own people and all of that kind of stuff that we hear here? Well, in 2013, NATO conducted a survey of Syrians. This is during the war. It is a NATO survey. This is the same organization that is committing supreme international war crimes against Syria. And about 70% of Syrians indicated their support for President Assad. Now, there's no Canadian politician that I know of who would generate that type of support. And there were people in Lebanon lined up, I believe, for days. Eva Bart was there. And they were lined up at, at the, wherever they vote for, because they were in Lebanon, they, were, uh, they, had, they had to leave the country. They... they were lining up to vote for President Assad. And he was overwhelmingly elected in democratic elections. Now, some people will say, well, come on, they couldn't be democratic. Excuse me? Yes, they were. Multi-party, multi, multiple candidates. And my response to that would be, excuse me, but North America, do you really think we have uh, democracy? If we had democracy, people would be aware of what our governments are doing overseas. And if we had democracy... If we turned on the TV, we would see more than just one war propaganda view of what they are presenting as the truth, which is is war propaganda. It's false. Mark Taliano is speaking with me. Uh, he's the author of Voices from Syria. Uh, his website is marktaliano.net. I also have on the phone Reverend Andrew Ashdown, who also has been to Syria a number of times, uh, a Christian minister. Uh, Andrew, what, 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 um, what is your perspective from what people think of the Syrian government now, and, and who is really the enemy from the Syrian people's yeah. point of view? Absolutely. I think one has to go back a bit, actually, because... What you have, what people don't realise, and again, my 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 uh, expertise on this, if you like, my study on this, is on the plurality of Syrian society. I was a regular visitor to Syria before the conflict and since and during the conflict. Um, and Syria is a plural society, based on a secular constitution. Um, all countries have their difficulties, um, and no government is perfect. Um, that's that's a fact. Prior to the conflict, Syria was emerging, the reforms were happening. I I visited several times in the years immediately prior to the conflict. Um, The country was developing quite rapidly. People were excited. Um, In 2010, I visited the country, and I had people sort of saying, come back in five years, this is going to be be the beacon of the Middle East. Um, The tourism infrastructure was being uh, rebuilt. Um, the the uh, social infrastructure was was um, uh, main mainstream infrastructure was being restored. Uh, lots of things were happening, and there was great excitement in the country. And lo well, well and behold, suddenly six months later, it all falls apart. Now, is this 2011? Um, what you have in what you have in the country is actually multiple communities. Who Mark's quite right, actually. When you when you ask questions about. Um, whether you're Shia or Sunni or Christian, many Syrians get quite offended because they say that's sectarianizing the country and we're not a sectarian country. We are Syrians together. And if you go into a a restaurant now, even now, yes, and throughout the war, in government-controlled areas at least, where Sunnis and Shia and Druze and Christians of all denominations live together and churches and mosques are side by side and people go about their daily business, um, you go into a restaurant or a mosque and you will see Sunni and Shia and Christian eating, sitting, socializing side by side. Um, and not, you know, whatever they are doesn't matter. And that's been true of Syrian society throughout. And most Syrians wish to, re- wish to recover that sense of, or sustain that sense of plurality, which the, mo- the majority of them, the so-called rebels, um, are, belong to extremist Islamist ideology, I mean, who, are those groups going to establish democracy? You know, I've been to, I've been to, I've seen the villages 
the Christian villages, which have been ethnically cleansed by what we call the so-called moderate rebels, um, churches destroyed, um, other mosques destroyed, anybody who doesn't follow the extremist ideology of the so-called rebels that the West supports, um, villages wiped out um, by that ideology. Um, and there are no Christians left in the areas that are occupied by those, those groups, or a, t- a tiny number. So, you know, you've got the contrast between those areas and the government-controlled areas when the vast majority of the, you know, the internally displaced and refugees, there are more internally displaced in Syria than refugees outside. And the vast majority have gone from where to where? They've gone from the rebel, so-called rebel-controlled areas to the government-controlled areas where they're being looked after, where they're not being killed by the government. They're being looked after by the faith communities, by the government, by various agencies. Um, so the situation on the ground is very, very different to how it is perceived. And yes, President Assad is much, much more popular than people, people realize. And the other thing is that there's a huge amount of hypocrisy in the Western approach to, to, to Syria. You know, we go in as the West, and we just, we've successfully destroyed Iraq. We've successfully helped destroy Libya, um, Afghanistan. We kill millions. We go out as sort of the great, supposedly doing the right thing. We will bomb cities to show you. We bombed Mosul and Raqqa, killing tens of thousands of civilians in the process um, to destroy ISIS. But it's okay for us to do that. Now... Um, and, and having spent weeks and weeks, many, many weeks, over, over the period of five years, traveling throughout Syria and meeting hundreds and hundreds of people on the ground in these areas which have been in the midst of the conflict, um, they want to get rid of those extremist elements and restore the peace. And, and, and if you go to Syria now, wherever those so-called rebel groups have been, the areas that have been liberated from those things, life is returning to a kind of normality except that you have the huge effect of, of sanctions, which is causing yet more suffering to millions and millions of people. So Western policies are actually prolonging the war and causing suffering to millions, millions of people. So the situation is very, very different to how it is projected or presented um, in, by Western media and Western governments. Reverend Andrew Ashdown speaking uh, there uh, about Syria. You've been to Syria several times. Well, what about these, these, they call them the moderate rebels, but they are really, what, al-Nusra, uh, Wahhabists, terrorists, mercenaries? Can you Absolutely. tell a little bit about these guys? <laughs> if, you, if you look at the most Syrians that you talk to in Syria, and, that, and if you talk to the ones who've actually fled from the areas under those areas under the control, I mean, the sheer brutality of what they I mean, I've... I've, I've I've heard some of the stories firsthand, and we're talking brutality of an ex- extraordinary degree, an unimaginable degree. And most Syrians who've experienced that say there is no such thing as a moderate rebel, they're all intertwined. Now, it's well documented now that most people feel that even if at the beginning there might have expect, uh, existed what one might call so-called moderates, any that existed, all of them work together. I've spoken with people in, in um, towns and villages which have been under attack from these groups, um, and they say absolutely consistently that all the groups were fighting together, from those that we term moderate to the most extremist. And when you take the names of these groups, they are all extreme Islamist groups. The other factor is that even though the groups that we call moderate have as their intention to create an Islamic state, which most Syrians, including, I would dare to suggest, most secular Sunni Syrians, do not want to see. Many Sunni Syrians, as I've spoken to in Syria, you know, don't want to see that happen, oppose, the vast majority of people inside Syria actually oppose those extremist groups and don't want to see um, this uh, sectarian uh, government that they would bring. Now, so why on earth is the West supporting these groups that have a, an extremist ideology? Well, let's let's ask um, that question. Why on earth is that happening? Can I answer this? Or, you or bet, Mark. Ahead, Andrew, Andrew, Andrew. Jump in, Mark, Mark Taliano. <laughs> oh, okay. 
Well, I, I, yes, I agree with uh, Reverend Ashton totally, but, uh, and I agree, and they, they all work together, and why is that? Because NATO has command and control out of Turkey, okay? NATO has control, I mean, these terrorists could not work independently against uh, and perform and occupy so much on their own, okay? And, and it's quite clear that uh, NATO has command and control, and it's also quite clear, which is, uh, well, um, People use the term rebel, okay, that's, that's being nice, okay. Uh, Mr. Mm-hmm. Da- Andrew has specified that they're extremists, and um, he's correct. And who are extremists? Well, they are al-Qaeda groups. They are yeah. al-Qaeda-affiliated groups. They are ISIS, okay. It, it, the, the empire claimed it's a war against ISIS. Uh, I'm sorry, it isn't. ISIS are also supported by empire, okay. They are expendable, but they serve a purpose. And let me give you an example. Uh, there was a Defense Intelligence Agency document in 2012, okay? And in that document it says that the Empire supports um, the opposition. Well, the opposition they're referring to is Al-Qaeda and, and its affiliates and ISIS. And it says on this report, Al-Qaeda drives the opposition in Syria. Now, just a little caveat there. There is opposition in Syria, but they're not walking around with assault rifles, Okay. There are opposition politicians in Syria, but the North American military refers to these armed uh, jihadis, these terrorists, as opposition. But anyway, the report goes on. Al-Qaeda drives the opposition in Syria. The West identifies with the opposition. The establishment of a quote-unquote Salafist principality in eastern Syria is exactly what the external powers supporting the opposition want. The external powers are identified as the West, the Gulf countries, and Turkey in order to weaken the Assad government, okay? So there are, there's plenty of primary source documentation which supports everything that we're saying. The, this yeah. war has nothing to do about humanitarian yeah. issues except it's it is... geopolitical. And... And also, the areas now, the oil-rich areas now occupied by the West, are, were exactly pre- predicted by these documents. They, they wanted this area in eastern Syria. So in some ways, the docu- the, in, in all ways, the document predicted what has happened so far. Because right now, Empire has, uh, is illegally occupying areas, some areas. They're training new terrorists and they are occupying oil fields. And the oil fields are to the east of the Euphrates. And let's not forget also uh, uh, Wesley Clark. We're going to take out uh, seven countries in five years. I mean, all of this was publicly acknowledged. Canada's own defense minister um, said, uh, you know, Assad has to go. Well, they are announcing publicly supreme international war crimes. My guests are Mark Taliano and uh, Reverend Andrew Ashdown. Uh, Mark Taliano has written the book called Voices from Syria. Uh, in 2017, he wrote that. Uh, his website is marktaliano.net. You can go there and kind of uh, follow along if you happen to be by a computer and listening to the radio. marktaliano.net is his website. So uh, the other, you know, one thing in your book that came out um, that I thought was uh, eye-opening to me is that there's is there a sense right now in which it is uh, almost, or perhaps even is, a world war. We, we've got various countries involved already. Uh, Russia, um, you mentioned Turkey, uh, NATO. Uh, is this is this a sense? Uh, could this be a, a prelude to something much larger than we're than we're looking at? Well, it's an economic war for sure, and there are imperial powers in there. NATO is there. Turkey is on the ground. The Americans are on the ground. Right now. Those are those are those forces are committing supreme international war crimes because the Syrian government did not uh, invite them in, and the UN Security Council did not allow them to go in. Okay, Russia was invited in. So Russia and Iran, these any forces that are invited in by the Syrian government are legitimate. The Syrian government can legitimately and should should defend its sovereignty and its territorial integrity, as it is doing. And Russia and Iran and their allies are helping. 
you know, the, the West, we are supporting the terrorists. They keep and part of this is the language that's used here in in the West. You know, like it's a regime of Assad or something that it, that it is not actually correct. But really, he was uh, democratically elected. That's correct, and and that part, I I take uh, issue, especially with the nomenclature that that the West uses the the mainstream uh, so-called journalists. They use really war propaganda terms. It isn't a regime. And as soon as uh, a prey country is targeted, it becomes a regime, and immediately you have a brutal dictator. Immediately he is committing atrocities. But none of it is based on evidence, on solid evidence. The evidence is partisan. Yeah, you want to step in, Andrew uh, Ashdown? Yeah, yeah. As, as Marcus said, actually, there are quite a number of parties. Uh, I think there are twenty-something parties in the, in the Syrian government. I, I've met most of the internal opposition leaders, who are non-violent opposition leaders. Um, it's a different kind of system. It's not as we the kind of system we have in the West. Um, but there are more. The actual the, the parliament is representational of the different groupings. Um, so, you know, all the, all the different communities within Syria, whether Sunni, Shia, Druze, Christian, etc., all are in there. The Syrian parliament has more Christians than any other government in the Middle East. It has more women than any other government in the Middle East. Um, and it is an elected government. Um, again, a different process to we would, that we have. But who are we to dictate? You know, it's up to the Syrians. I mean, this is also really important. It's not up to the Americans or the Canadians or the British to decide who's going to govern another country. It's only the Syrians who can choose their leader. You know, it's we kind of interesting. All sorts of pomp- you know, we, we make all sorts of judgments. Despite our catastrophic history um, and, and of intervention, yeah, yeah, you know, um, it's, uh, it's kind of interesting. I was just thinking in our own country, well, is there opposition to President Trump? Well, sure. Absolutely. Would, 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 would that mean we'd want China to come in and bomb us to get rid of him? Exactly, exactly. I mean, it's... Um, <laughs> and we're going we're, we're gonna to take so, I mean, a break. I'm going to come right back. It's is, is wrong. And, and right, one more point. You know, it is a secular-based constitution. And what, what, what is being intended to be replaced by is certainly nothing that's going to be democratic, quite the opposite. I, another interesting dimension is that most women in Syria, you know, you go to Syria, and women particularly, and this is very important, the women can dress as they wish. They can work as they wish. They can do, you know, there, there are cultural issues. You know, everybody in every culture has cultural norms and expectations. But under law, they can do as they wish. And so if you walk around Damascus or Aleppo, you can't tell what community a person belongs to by their dress because it's a secular society based on those norms. Um, Most women I know in Syria um, are terrified of um, any any of these um, militant groups taking over um, because they fear that actually all opportunities for women will be immediately crushed. Interesting in these, sort of these, these news reports from, from, from inside so-called rebel-controlled areas, you know, what do you see of the women? <laughs> They're completely shrouded. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to. women in Syria. That's not Syria. That's not normal in Syria. Reverend Andrew Ashdown and Mark Taliano. We are supporting. Reverend Andrew Ashdown. Hang on a second. Reverend Andrew Ashdown and Mark Taliano are my guests. Uh, we're talking about Syria, yep. talking about Mark's particular book, in particular, Voices from Syria. Yep. We're going to take a two minute break, and then we are yep. going to come back and continue this discussion uh, with Reverend Andrew Ashdown and Mark Taliano. You folks stay on the line. Uh, we're going to okay. continue. I want to talk about especially the um, where we are, kind of the level right now. What has changed uh, in the last couple of years? Is, is it getting better or worse? We're going to come back with that question in just a minute. This is the beloved community.
The Ostrich from Steppenwolf from 1968. This is the beloved community on KBOO every second Friday from 9 to 10. My name is John Shuck. Uh, Coming up later this morning at 10, it's Making Contact. Uh, We discuss the lessons of Nagasaki and listen to the voices of the two most deadly attacks the world has ever seen. At 10.30, Film at 11, longtime KBOO member Rick Mitchell joins us to discuss a new documentary about Paul Butterfield and the DVD release of Amazing Grace with Aretha Franklin. At 11, it's The Digital Divide. Dr. Joel Moskowitz is the director of the UC Berkeley Center for Family and Community Health. And you can hear all of these programs after they air on KBOO.FM or on iTunes and Google Play, and that includes uh, the Bluff community, of course. All of these KBOO programs are made possible by member support. Uh, if you'd like to become a member, go to kboo.fm and, and tell them uh, the kind of shows and the programs you'd like to hear. My guests are two. One is from Canada. His name is Mark Taliano. Uh, he is, uh, website is marktaliano.net. His book is called Voices from Syria, uh, a book uh, recounting his trip to Syria and, and talking with the people in Syria as well as an analysis of the geopolitical situation. Also from the U.K., I have Reverend Andrew Ashdown, uh, a Christian minister who has actually gone to Syria a number of times and has discussed with a variety of people there and knows the situation on the ground. Let's talk about the situation on the ground now. Is it better than it was, Mark, when you wrote your book three years ago? Um, uh, it is better. I'm, I'm hearing that it is better. Uh, and many, many more areas have been liberated. And every time an area is liberated... That is great news, because when terrorists occupy areas, they target everyone and anyone with their mortars. Uh, for example, they murdered about 14,000 people in Aleppo when they, when they occupied part of that area, and they murdered around 11,000 people in Damascus when they were in that area. So any time an area is liberated, People breathe a sigh of relief because nobody wants to be martyred. And the martyr campaign, slaughter, as I said many times, um, children and women and men, and they target schools and they target hospitals and they target everything and anything that makes a society function. Okay, so when we're hearing the propaganda about, um, oh, the evil regime is targeting hospitals in Idlib. Okay, let's remember, Idlib, first of all, has only 12 hospitals. It doesn't have 50,000 hospitals. Second of all, the terrorists use hospitals as torture centers, command posts, uh, weapons depots, sniper perches, etc. And once they do that, the hospital is no longer uh, hospital status. But first and foremost, the government of Syria, which is beloved by most Syrians, has no intention or no desire to kill its own people. That's what our terrorists are doing. They are killing Syria's people. And Syria is doing what it is duty-bound to do, which is to protect its people. And in order to do that, there will be as in any war, there will be, uh, people will be killed. 
So, so would you say that uh, this isn't so much a global war on terrorism that uh, the UK, the US, Canada, uh, NATO countries are fighting, but really that we are actually the terrorists in this case? We are definitely the terrorists, okay? The, the global war on terror is a fraud. It's a total fraud. It's a, it's a program to create Islamophobia and to go after uh, terrorists that we create and support. The terrorists are there. They are our proxies on the ground in Syria. And our governments, despite the words that come from politicians' mouths, our governments are uh, deep state agencies uh, actually create Islamophobia. That's their intent. And Justice Bruce proved that when a bunch of um, security personnel, governing agencies, Canadian government agencies, set up two hapless uh, people and framed them for uh, a kettle pot bombing on Canada Day years ago. The judge, the judge, uh, you know, he, the judge said, I mean, that's not your job to uh, do this. Uh, you're not supposed to be creating terrorism, but that's exactly uh, what these uh, uh, government employees were doing. They, they were creating Islamophobia on purpose, okay? So there's a big propaganda war, there's a big uh, military psychological operation. Uh, the war on terror is a fraud. We are supporting the terrorists. Well, let's uh, continue this conversation because I want to go uh, in, in, in the sense of, of uh, terms of propaganda, I guess I, I would say. And, and why, what in the media, the, the role of the media, I'm talking about the Western media in Syria, what, what has happened? Um, I mean, is there, is there no, are there no media in, uh, from the West in Syria? Well, the media has been corrupted. Empire corrupts basically everything it touches. The media has been corrupted. For example, the White Helmets. The White Helmets are sources of information for various so-called NGOs, which are not non-governmental. They're foundation-funded and government-funded. They're sources of information for, uh, for uh, Amnesty International, and for uh, our governments, and the White Helmets are auxiliaries to Al-Qaeda. They work with Al-Qaeda. When Vanessa Bealey goes to Syria, she goes to uh, uh, an area that was occupied by Al-Qaeda or ISIS or other affiliated terrorists, and the White Helmets building is always there, okay? And their, their equipment and their money comes from the West, and they hoard medicine, but there's a very evil side to this. Some of them are terrorists, actually. They, ter you know, they terrorists by night, white helmets by day, sort of thing. But there is also plenty of evidence indicating um, uh, organ trafficking. Okay, now if you add some, so there, it, there's a very nefarious side to these white helmets. They are not independent at all. They're paid for by Canada, by the U.S. They are agencies of the empire which daily commits supreme international war crimes in Syria. That's the ugly side to this, uh, war uh, through deception. And our media plays a huge role in this uh, apparatus of deception. And the White Helmets play a starring role in that. Well, they, uh, the movie about them won an Oscar. Uh, yeah. My uh, guests are Mark Taliano and Reverend Andrew Ashdown talking about Syria. Reverend Andrew uh, Ashdown, talk a little bit more about uh, the Christian uh, witness and presence uh, in Syria now. The Christian presence is, is, is quite remarkable. As I said, it's, you know, it, there are five Christian families, actually, and all of them are present in, in, in Syria and have been for centuries. Um, however, it's been severely affected by the war. Um, uh, it's estimated that about half the number of Christians have left the country, but that means that half still are there. Um, those that have left are, are from either from areas that have been occupied by the militant groups. So I've seen the Christian villages that have been literally destroyed by by the terrorist groups, or um, shelled. I mean, I, I was in Aleppo during the final battles for East Aleppo. Um, and many churches were shelled and bombed by the by, by the terrorists then, um, and you also have many Christians who 
have connections with the, with the West or whatever who've left because of the very difficult war situation and also because of the economic situation as well. Yet the Christians that have remained there are uh, inspiring in terms of their service, uh, in terms of their reaching, and the, the, the projects that are being done by all the Christian denominations to serve the local communities, to serve the internally displaced, um, for the elderly, for the children, for education, for schools, for, um, for, for those who are tra- traumatized by the war, for practically helping to rebuild houses and all that sort of thing. Numerous projects, um, or enabling new people to start up new businesses, numerous projects organized by all the church denominations on the ground. Amazing work being done. We don't hear about any of this. And all the churches actually are utterly opposed to the Western stance against Syria. And as they say, you know, if, if, if the terrorists that the West support took over Syria, you would lose Christianity completely from Syria. It would be gone. Um, so so th- there is much that we just don't hear about. I want to just, just affirm that actually in, is, since those, milita- those terrorist-controlled areas, when they are liberated, the pace of change is remarkable. Um, I, I was in East Aleppo just months after. I was actually there when East Aleppo was finally liberated um, and went into East Aleppo uh, liberated areas immediately after. Um, very quickly, the streets were being cleared, um, within a few months, uh, shops were being reopened. People were returning to their houses. Um, I think it's about 800,000 people returned to the Aleppo area since the terrorists uh, liberated, you know, been liberated from the terrorists. Um, and, 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 and a degree of life returns. And, and, when, you, and when, you're saying, mm-hmm. when you were saying liberated, just to make sure people are clear, that is liberated by the Syrian army. The exactly, liberated by the Syrian army from the terrorist from groups. the terrorists. Remember, these are extremist, brutal terrorist groups that we are supporting. Um, and the Syrian army, I've seen them in action. Remember, the Syrian army are the Syrian people. Most of these terrorist groups are, you know, the Afghans, Chechens, you know, people from Pakistan, all, all over, you know, they're from all over the world. Tens of thousands of foreign fighters. They're not. There are Syrians amongst them but there are tens of thousands of foreign fighters. The Syrian army is a Syrian's brothers, sons, daughters, uncles, husbands. And, and, and what's not often mentioned is it's estimated that 100,000 Syrian soldiers have been killed during the war. Now, many of those have been brutally murdered. Did you just say, let me get that figure correct, 100,000 100, exactly, Syrian soldiers? Exactly, that's never mentioned. In, in the figures that are banded about, that's never mentioned. And these are Syrians, and they're Sunnis. The majority of Syrian soldiers are Sunnis. That's never mentioned. They're very loyal to their country, and they're loved by the people, because they are the Syrian people. And the loss to Syria, trying to protect its people, trying to protect the nation from pretty well foreign invasion, is absolutely vast. And, of course, there are many Christians amongst the Syrian army as well. Um... And they're fighting for freedom. They're fighting for um, to secure the, the the secular constitution of the state. They're fighting for their country. Let's talk a little um, bit about their 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 uh, uh, the uh, the f- the feeling. I watched a video on uh, Mark uh, Taliano's website, marktaliano.net, just the other day. Uh, I think Vanessa mm-hmm. Beely uh, recorded yep. uh, a bombing there, uh, a, a a big missile. I mean, obviously not not something yep. that yep. some little small rocket of, of against a Absolutely. church and uh, the. Uh, uh, interview the people who were being interviewed there uh, expressed really a, an incredible resiliency. Can you talk a little bit th- about that? I, th- I think this is this is absolutely true, and I've been in similar places. I've been with Vanessa in some of the places. I was with Vanessa in, in in Aleppo when East Aleppo was finally liberated, and went in the next day with her to some of those areas. Um, the resilience is absolutely phenomenal, and the determination of people to stay, the determination of many to actually try and even forgive, um, which is a really hard one, um, but to rebuild, to carry on in a situation that feels so desperate. And while the situation is improving, the security situation is improving. Wherever the terrorists have uh, moved out, 
and areas are liberated, the security situation improves. People, you know, what's, what's often not mentioned, for example, in Aleppo, dozens of schools are reopened in East Aleppo. You know, clinics are reopening in East Aleppo. All this thing is happening, re- reopening of things, and um, the old city is being restored at a rapid pace. None of this is mentioned. All, all things are, you know. Um, but the economic situation is, ap- is dire, and people are, people are dying because of the sanctions, which is quite deliberate, because it's all done to destabilize, further destabilize the Syrian state. So there's no sense in which we're trying to sort the war out we're actually trying to prolong it. Why? Because we haven't succeeded in our goal, which is regime change, for all our own uh, interests and agendas, which have nothing to do with human rights, but everything to do with geopolitics, as we were talking about earlier. Andrew Ashdown, Reverend Andrew Ashdown from the UK and Mark Taliano from Canada, uh, both of you from the West. You've both been to Syria. How were you personally received? Um, <laughs> uh, is this uh, either one? Either one, both of you. Yeah, sure. Go ahead, Mark. You go for Heartbreaking. Yeah, it really was heartbreaking. Um, when I, on both times that I was in Syria, it, uh, I just, I was treated so well. And I tried to put myself in the Syrians' uh, shoes, because they know that, that our countries, that the West, are responsible for this war. And I thought to myself, well, if the roles were reversed, and I had, um, and there were people from a country that were supporting terrorists, uh, I would have a really hard time uh, being gracious about it. Mm. But what is remarkable about Syrians is they are, they're such, uh, they're sort of really are wonderful people. I mean, they, they, they accept us with open arms. They, they have an understanding of what is a far more sophisticated understanding of what's going on. I think that they understand that the West is blanketed with war propaganda. I think they understand that um, Western people, if they were aware of what their governments were doing, that they would not support this. And I think they're right. I think if if Western if Western people, if if my neighbors knew what our governments were supporting, that we are supporting al-Qaeda and ISIS and all these terrorists, I think for sure that they would oppose that. So if we're getting back to the issue of democracy, how democratic are we? My argument is not at all. Yeah, Mark, uh, Mark Taliano. Andrew, what, do you, what would you say to that? How, are you, how have you been received? You've been there a number and, of times, and, too. And similarly, I mean, it, it, it's truly humbling to be able to go to a country in that situation and to receive such humbling uh, hospitality, welcome, generosity, knowing the people knowing that our governments are part of the problem and helping those who are helping to destroy the country. Um, uh, just, just overwhelming welcome and, and, and facilitating um, things to happen and welcoming into homes and even when life's so hard, being utterly generous. Um, and generous of spirit as well. Um, so it, 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 it is very, very humbling. And, and, and I, I often wonder, you know, would, would we be the same? And, 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 you know, are we the same to our hosting um, other, other people from different situations? And the answer is no. Um, so we, we have a lot to learn. Uh, yes. One yeah. more. I have and, a and also, I think, as a Christian, as, as a priest going uh-huh. to Syria, I'm one of the only very, very few clergy who've actually gone to engage with the faith communities in Syria. And that's really sad, because actually as, as people of faith, and particularly as Christians, going to engage with the Christian communities in Syria and listen to them and stand alongside them and just learn and listen, um, uh, that's not been happening at all. And so there's been, a lot, there's been appreciation for that and sadness that actually the church in the West has failed and neglected the Christian and the other faith communities who are all I suffering. You know, Andrew, I didn't, I didn't ask you. Are you, are you uh, a priest with the the uh, uh, Anglican Church? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so tell me, I want one more a geopolitical question here. We, we have a few minutes left. I want to, what what is Israel's role in this? Uh, uh, yes, I mean there is a lot of evidence now. Israel admits to have been involved with. I mean, it's now accepted and, and documented that the, the Israel has been supporting 
um, the terrorist groups in the south of Syria, um, militarily as well as in humanitarian terms for, for local, but the terrorist groups. Um, of course, there's huge geopolitical reasons and a long history between Israel and Syria. Um, so the, I, I'm just actually aware that I have to leave very shortly. Um, so, so, so okay, <laughs> very, well, why don't you give me a, give me a sentence or two mm-hmm. of your of of, of of what what you'd like people to know who are listening to this radio program in the United States? Um, I, I, what I'd say to people is, look, what you hear is is so twisted. Actually, I mean, I was going to say so narrow, but it's not just narrow; it's actually twisted. There is a whole, you know, we hear a narrative. I, I, um, it's it's a very very partial it's a very biased narrative and it's a comp- it's, it is far there's a huge amount that we don't actually aren't being told in fact the story of the syrian people inside syria the two two-thirds three-quarters of the population of syria who are in government controlled areas their views their story their experience has been completely whitewashed by the Western governments and by the Western media. They've been disappeared as irrelevance. So our our understanding is completely skewed and I would say completely wrong because we're hearing, and our sources in Syria are nearly all from extremely dodgy sources, exclusively from terrorist-controlled areas with highly politicized agendas. Um, so don't believe everything you say. Uh, don't believe everything you hear um, from, from the media. But remember that there are, there are many other different, different um, narratives that need to be heard. And this situation in Syria is much more complex and much, very different to that which we're used to hearing. Reverend Andrew Ashdown, thank you. I know you have to go. Thank you for with us. I, I have to go, actually. Very good. Thank, thank you. you. Uh, thank we're, you very much. Thank you. We're going to close. Right, we're going to close up here in a minute, uh, Mark. So we got about a minute left. So uh, this is the beloved community, Mark. Can you tell me about some of the sources, uh, in addition to yourself, researchers and journalists who are reporting accurately regarding Syria? Who are reporting accurately? Yes. Uh, Vanessa Bailey is reporting accurately. Uh, Professor Tim Anderson is reporting accurately. Um, Eva Bartlett is reporting accurately. Uh, Reverend Andrew Ashton, who we just had, is reporting accurately. I am reporting accurately. Uh, a number of us, uh, and I, and the list is is growing. Okay, because every time uh, an occupied area is liberated, more truths come out. You've seen some of the um, videos that Vanessa has put up that I've put in my articles. More of the truth is emerging, but as Reverend uh, Ashdown, uh, oh, there's um, Mike Raddy, Allison, um, and his uh, co-editor, Allison. Um, there's many, many people here that I that I could uh, mention, uh, and um, we need to pay attention to those voices because those are the voices of the truth. Those are the voices of people who have been to Syria. Who have studied it intensively, and we, our narratives, are based upon real evidence. All right, and, and must the evidence is Western source evidence. All right, and Mike. I've been speaking, Mark. We're out of time. Mark Taliano is uh, my, has been my guest, as well as uh, Reverend Andrew Ashdown. Uh, Mark is the author of Voices from Syria. His website is marktaliano.net, marktaliano.net. Mark, thank you so much for your work and for spending time with me today. Thank you very much. You've been listening to The Beloved Community every second Friday, every second Friday at 9 a.m. from 9 to 10 a.m. on KBOO. And you can also go to KBOO.FM for a podcast of this broadcast. I'm John Shuck. Be well. Battle of New Orleans at the end of the early British wars. The young land started growing, the young blood started flowing, but I ain't a marching anymore. For I killed my share of engines in a thousand different fights. I was there at the little big horn. 
I heard many men lying, I saw many more dying, but I ain't marching anymore. It's always the old to lead us to the wars, always the young to fall. Now look at all we want with a saber and a gun. Tell me, is it worth it all? For I stole California from the Mexican land. Fought in the bloody Civil War Yes, I even killed my brothers and so many others But I ain't marching anymore KBOO Community Radio is a proud co-sponsor of the Montevilla Jazz Festival on Saturday, August 17th and Sunday, August 18th at Portland Metro Arts in Portland. The Montevilla Jazz Festival features performances by Brian Smith, Dana Reason, Mel Brown and Gordon Lee, and many more. Again, that's the Montevilla Jazz Festival on Saturday, August 17th and Sunday, August 18th at Portland Metro Arts, 9003 Southeast Stark Street in Portland. KBOO will be broadcasting live from the festival on Saturday from 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. This is KBOO Portland. The time now is 10 o'clock. Coming up next on Making Contact, they discuss the lessons of Nagasaki and listen to the voices of the two most deadly attacks the world has ever seen. At 10.30 on Film at 11, longtime KBOO member Rick Mitchell joins us to discuss a new documentary about Paul Butterfield and a DVD release of Amazing Grace with Aretha Franklin. At 11 on a digital divide, Dr. Joel Moskowitz, director of the UC Berkeley Center for Family and Community Health, discusses. Don't forget that you can hear all of these programs after they air on kboo.fm or on iTunes and Google Play. All of these KBOO programs are made possible by member support. If you'd like to become a member, go to kboo.fm or use our mobile app and click on Donate. KBOO Community Radio is a proud co-sponsor of the Feminist Film Night and Planned Parenthood fundraiser on Friday, August 16th at 7 p.m. at the Clinton Street Theater in Portland. This Planned Parenthood fundraiser will screen 